you know, they're still keeping score in the fall, you know, and, and on Saturday they're keeping score. They're not going to say, you know, SIU had five practices and scored 20 points and SEMO had two practices and score, you know, they're keeping score. So we really have approached it with our team that, that games are still going to be won and lost in the fall. Championships are still going to be given out. So how do we take these potential hurdles and these potential distractions and turn them into opportunities? Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Up Close in Personnel. This is your host, Alex Brown, and for those that are first-time listeners, this show is all about educating and empowering those involved with the recruiting and evaluation process. That's recruits, parents, coaches, recruiters, and anybody just passionate about the business. This week, we've got another great show lined up for you with Geiska Crowley, Director of Player Personnel from Southern Illinois University. Geiska takes us into his thought process as a recruiter and evaluator, and he really knows the game inside and out. We discuss his experiences coaching high school football in Florida, working with Exos Recruiting, and how those opportunities prepared him for the opportunity he's in currently. It's a great episode for recruits wanting to learn more about the process, but really insightful on how to break into the industry and execute at a high level. As always, please be sure to hit subscribe, rate the show, and send it to anyone that you think could benefit from listening. And I really appreciate the support for the show and look forward to continuing to bring you conversations of value, whether you're a recruit, parent, recruiter, or coach. With that being said, I'm going to end this preamble, and we're going to just jump into this conversation with our guest, Geiska Crowley. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um... Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, man, for having me. I'm, uh, I'm I'm super excited. Definitely been enjoying the last handful of weeks' episodes. I'm excited to get after it. Yeah. Um, how is? I mean, this is obviously uh, unprecedented times, but but how how are you doing? How is uh, how's your wife and and the little one? We're doing good, man. We're doing good. I've got a, a three year old at home, and 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 uh, my wife's a nanny also, so she's been around the house a lot. Um, you know, like a lot of coaches have said, you know, you don't get a ton of time with family in this business, so we're taking advantage of it. You know, we go on our morning walks uh, around campus. Uh, we're, we're right next to campus. So go on our morning walks and playing a little disc golf in the afternoon when we can, you know, so, so it's been good. It's been good to spend more time with them and, and uh, you know, everyone's healthy and, and safe. And that's the most important. Disc golf, no, no real golf for you. No, no, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'll, uh, I'll drive the cart around. I'll give you some, some moral support, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I plan the golf scrambles here at SIU. I don't play in the golf scrambles. I got gotcha. you. Who's the best golfer on your staff? Our, our offensive line coach, Trevor Olson, can stroke it for sure. Really? He is a big. He played at NIU. Um, I think he had a cup of coffee at a couple NFL training camps. You know, big six-six dude from uh, Minnesota was a big-time like youth hockey player too. I can imagine a big tackle. Uh, but no, he can. I mean, he can rip it for sure. Um, and then uh, Blake uh, Blake Roland, our offensive coordinator, too, is a, is a Georgia guy. He's a golfer too. So yeah, we got we got a couple of good ones. That's awesome. We we've got uh, we've got some support staff guys that are that are pretty good. Lucas Reed's probably the the one who hits the courses the most. But yeah, with you guys, I, for, for us, we we were able to get in nine practices, which was which was great in the spring. And 
obviously COVID hit and I know you guys only got five in, but um, how's your team handled this whole time period? I know that you kind of wear multiple hats and we'll get into your role a little bit later as far as the evaluating side and the recruiting side, but I know you're very involved with the head coach as far as, you know, calendars and, and scheduling things out and communication with the players. So how has that been for you? Yeah, it's uh Coach Hill and I, uh, you know, have a great relationship. He's a, he's a great guy to work with. He's an SIU alum, um, and this will be his fifth season uh, as the head coach. Like I said, a, gr- a great man, a great family man, and, and awesome to work for. You know, we, we, we had a conversation you know, kind of at the beginning of this. is like, you know, they're still keeping score in the fall. You know, and, and on Saturday, they're keeping score. They're not going to say, you know, SIU had five practices and scored 20 points and SEMO had two practices and score, you know, they're keeping score. So we really have approached it with our team that, that games are still going to be won and lost in the fall championships are still going to be given out. So how do we take these potential hurdles and these potential distractions and turn them into opportunities? Um, like you said, from a recruiting and eval standpoint, there's certain ways to do that. We've uh, done a really good job. I feel like uh, communicating with our team and, and, and honestly reevaluating the way we do everything. You know, Coach Hill is, is, is huge on culture. He's huge on, you know, why we do things. Uh, you know, like I said, being, a, being an alum, he spent a, a ton of time in the southern Illinois area. So we want to really focus on how we do things, why we do things. So what we've been able to do is take a step back a little bit with the players gone and reevaluate, you know, why is our calendar the way it is? You know, is, is there a reason? Is it going to give us an advantage or are we doing it? because that's what the calendar said last year. That's what the calendar said two years ago. Um, so we're trying to maximize that. You know, we're trying to maximize how we do things. And, and you know, obviously the use of technology with our players has been huge and, and use of technology and recruiting has, has been really, really good. Um, so that's a big one for us is, is why do we do it? How do we do it? And, and then how can we improve with, uh, you know, with taking this, you know, not a break, but taking this, uh, you know, a little bit of a, of a curve of a normal spring, summer for a, for a football program. Yeah, I, I love the thing that you said about reevaluating the way you do everything because it's it's like a reset, hit the reset button, like let's see where we can optimize. And the thing that I wanted to ask you is in terms of recruiting, you know, a big jump in terms of the video content that's put out, the virtual Zoom calls, the, the interactive um things that people are doing technology wise. So how do you think the, the increased, like that, the advent of technology that's been forced upon us um, will change the calendar because normally it's uh, you're trying so hard to just get kids on campus. And right now you've got to kind of manufacture that and kids are committing, you know, right and left at a dramatic pace. It'll be interesting to see if, we have the same amount of decommitments in the fall once kids finally get out to see places. But how do you think this changes the way we move forward in a, you know, pandemic less environment, right? Like, like how much of it stays, how much of it changes, like where do you see this going? Yeah, I think, I think that's the good thing, you know, about our, our industry and our, our, um, you know, our profession is, there's a whole lot of room for creativity. There's a whole lot of room for outside the box thinking. Um, and like you said, you know, how does, how does your visit schedule look like? What does your camp schedule look like? And, and to me, it's, I mean, it's going to be, you know, I've been lucky to have been on some zoom calls a couple times a week, the last handful of weeks with personnel and recruiting guys. And, you know, a, a common theme that's been kicked around is the best idea wins. And I really like that. 
So, you know, to your question is, how is it going to change? I think we're going to find out, you know, we're going to find out who has the best ideas, who can be the most creative, who can, you know, why do we do junior days the way we do? Why do we do camps the way we do? You know, who can find the creative ways to get kids on campus, whether that be virtually or in person. And then to me, a big one is maximizing that, right? Like getting, we always say that, oh, he, he's been on campus twice. Well, how was his visit? What is he, what did he do? What did he see? What didn't he see? Who, who did he get to spend time with? You know, was, was mom on the visit? Was grandma on the visit? Was, was brother on the visit? You know, all those things. So, you know, we're taking a look at it and we're trying to figure out how can we maximize our experience here at SIU? You know, we have an unbelievable campus. Um, well, I, I think one of the, the prettier campuses, you know, in this area, certainly we have great weather. Um, and then we have unbelievable facilities too. So we feel like if we can get kids on campus and they can feel our culture and they can feel what our campus is about, they can, you know, we'll be impressed by that. But like you said, how can we expand that? How can we reach kids who might not be able to come up from Atlanta, who might not be able to come down from Chicago and yeah. kind of show them what we're about? and then get them on campus and then, then create, you know, those relationships even further. So, you know, the virtual stuff will be big for us, um, you know, as far as how we approach and widen our net in recruiting. Yeah. I think in the short run, it might make it more regional based in this time, like in what we're going through right now, but in the future, I think it really opens the floodgates, you know, just in the, in the, in the way that you can present to anybody across the country or the world for that matter. We, we really talk a lot about the recruiting and the evaluating side of things uh, when you and I talk. So I kind of want to hit you from both angles on what do you think makes somebody a good recruiter? And on the flip side, what's the difference between a good recruiter and a good evaluator? What, what are the key differences there? Definitely. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, the, there are a couple of different things I always talk about when I, when I've either met great recruiters or been able to work with them. The first thing you have to be is you've got to be thorough, right? You know, if I send you a list of kids, I've got to be able to trust that you're going to evaluate them. You know, if, if you send me a list of kids that you want me to reach out to, you know, whether it be you know, DM or, or text or obviously Zoom now, like you've got to be able to trust that I'm going to be thorough and I'm going to be able to get through my lists. You know, when you prepare the road books for the coaches in the spring, you've got to trust that they're going to get to those schools, that they're going to get the accurate information. They're going to get that the important questions answered from the high school coach. So to me, you got to be thorough is number one. Um, number two is a, you got to be a great communicator, you know, whether that be with the prospect, whether that be with the prospect's family, whether that be with the high school coach or back, you know, in the office with, with your support staff or your head coach. Um, I think that is really, really important that you've got to be able to be a communicator. I think you got to be yourself. Um, that's the third thing for me. You know, you've had some awesome guests on so far. Um, and I, what I like so far about the, the mix of, of guests you've had on is they've all been really, really different. You know, you know, the, you know, uh, Hodges at Purdue and Carrington at Texas, those guys are, are, I think, leaders in the industry, but they're very different than me. And I've got to be me and they've got to be them. And if I try to be them, I'm not going to be successful for SIU and vice versa. Um, so that, that's a big one is you got to be yourself. And then I think that the best thing or the last thing to be a great recruiter is you've got to do extra, you know, whatever that means. You know, every coach in the country is making Zoom calls right now. Every coach in the country is sending out the virtual visits. But what are you going to do extra? What are you going to do to kind of push yourself over, you know, obviously a super, super competitive business? Is what, you know, what are those little things? What are those extra things that you're going to do? Um, you know, so, so for me, 
thorough, got to be a great communicator. You got to be yourself and then you got to do extra. I think those are the things that make a great recruiter. You got to make somebody feel like a priority. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and, and especially, especially now where you've got literally hundreds of college coaching staffs reaching out or reaching out, sending those tours, sending, you know, the, the graphics, you know, is the kid just on a graphic list or like you said, is there a connection? And I think that if you are yourself, the kids feel that the high school coaches feel that. And then the parents feel that. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's scary uh, when you send out, you know, graphics and stuff and what's helped at Rice is that we, we don't have a big list because it's really hard to get in school. But when you do have a bigger list of kids, you, you, the thing that that's scary is you never want to be considered the, the white noise. Yeah. Just be sure. another coach messaging a kid with evaluating what makes somebody a good evaluator. Yeah. And, and I think it's a different skill set. It really is, you know, a, a recruiting, just like if you've got a good offensive line coach, he's not going to necessarily make a good defensive line coach. Obviously it's still coaching. Right. Uh, but to me being a good evaluator is, um, you know, th the number one thing is you've got to be honest with yourself and you can't ride the fence, you know, and, and coach Hill and I talk a lot about it and it drives me nuts when someone will ask, uh, you know, a coach about a player and his response is oh, always pretty good. I like him. And it's like, well, well, what does that mean? You know, is that, is he an offer guy? Is he a camp guy? I mean, so the number one, to be a really good evaluator, I think you've got to, I always say you got to keep your eyes on your own paper. You know, you've got to be definitive. You've got to come. I love that. With, I love yeah, that yeah. right there. You know, cause, cause what happens too much is there, there's a lot of group think, you know, and you see it in the NFL draft and you see it like say whatever you want about the Raiders. I know the Raiders took that kid from Ohio state to corner who, you know, wasn't supposed to be a first round pick or whatever that means. I'm not quite sure but they kept their eyes on their own paper, you know, and, and they thought he was a great fit for them. And, and then you, you respect that. Now, will he be, you know, that's why we get to watch on Sundays and we'll figure that out. But to be a great evaluator, you know, you got to be yourself. And then I think number, the, the, the second biggest thing is you've got to come with evidence, right? If you're in a staff meeting and you have an opinion on that kid, you got to, you got to back it up, whether it be physical evidence, like, Hey, watch these five plays and he's performing this specific skill whether it be off the field and say, Hey, I've talked to his coach, you know, he, he got a, you know, he got a 16 on the ACT the first time retook it and bumped it to a 20, you know, just that kind of stuff where you've got to bring the evidence. Um, so I think keeping your eyes on your own paper and then backing it up with evidence is, is a huge part of being an evaluator. And it's something I try to do every day. And it's something that I try to, to get better at most importantly. The, the evidence part is so huge. It's like the, the body type and the measurables and have those answers because those are like the first questions that anybody yep. asks. So who are some of the best recruiters you've been around and why? Yeah, no, I, that, that's a good one. Um, I've had a, a unique perspective. I worked with Exos Digital for eight years doing scouting and recruiting, recruiting on the private side. So I was able to work with tons of staffs and tons of coaches, you know, providing them information. Um, you know, and then now obviously on the school side, uh, you know, so I've got a bit of a unique perspective to me, Kelvin Bell, uh, the defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator in Iowa is a, is a, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, does an unbelievable job. Um, you know, obviously he, he played at Iowa, um, you know, so he's got ties to the program. He knows he is unbelievably consistent with what he's looking for. And then their inability to bend off of what they're looking for is, is, is really something that I, admire and, and something that obviously has proven super successful for, for the program and, and the coach Bell. So that, that's a, you know, he, he's one that I always look to. 
of, of trying to, to match that consistency. Um, and then here at SIU, uh, Nate Griffin is our running backs coach, um, does an unbelievable job. And, and Griffin and I go back and forth. He is unbelievably slow offering kids. And it drives, you know, as a recruiting guy, it drives you nuts. You're like, man, I'm watching 10 running backs a day, you know, and he's so slow. But he wants to do his homework. He wants to know the kids personally. He always talks about, he's like, man, I don't care about the, the height, the weight, the speed. Obviously, that's important. But do you want to coach that kid? And does that kid want to be coached by you? And if mm -hmm. both those answers are yes, then you can move on from there. And that's eventually, you know, he's done a great job. DJ Davis um, just graduated from us, was a, an all-conference kid. You know, will be one of the top, if not the top, all-purpose yards in SIU history. Uh, Javon, Javon Williams um, was third in the Jerry Rice FCS freshman of the year. So Griff does an unbelievable job um, because he's, like I talked about earlier, he's himself. He knows himself. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's a beauty to see. Like I said, it frustrates you a little bit sometimes when you've got a big list of names and you're super excited. But yeah. uh, he's real thorough. Uh, he believes in what he believes. And, you know, for him, it's all about the connection to the kid. Um, and so, yeah, so he does an awesome job. I, I love the – it's it's a two-way street like the kid needs to be uh desiring to be coached by you as much as you want to coach the kid i think Definitely. that's i think that's so huge because at the end of the day it is a player evaluation player development and probably more so on the player development side well that's Before, something real quick is we we don't do it enough as a as an industry to be honest with you you know just the way that the calendar is we're always looking forward you know we're looking to the next recruit we're looking to the next commit or the next class but we don't spend enough time, and I'm, I'm in this group as well, we don't spend enough time looking back. Yeah. Like, why did a kid work? Why didn't a kid work? Why didn't um, a recruiting class meet the needs that you were looking for? We don't spend enough time, enough time, in my opinion, doing it. Um, like I said, myself included, so I'm, I'm lumped in there as well. So balancing, looking forward to find the next one, but then learning, looking backwards on kids. Like I said, maybe, maybe it was an underrated kid that turned out to be all-conference. Why, you know, why was he – that level and how do you find another one like that case studies and uh before i i got into recruiting i was doing scouting and i i looked back at some nfl draft reports that i had done from like 13 12 11 and oh my gosh like wow you miss on a lot of them like you really do like at the end of the day and and it's not so much as like it you you get so caught up on success as, as a binary situation it, because it, it's it's so dependent on scheme and fit and coaching and personality and location and um, there's just so many factors that you have to keep in mind because um, if you don't do your homework on every little detail there's and there's it's it's crazy how like it's never one thing like that is consistently like oh yeah I'm gonna I'm keep I'm still missing on this aspect it's different with every kid because every kid has a unique story. And that's why it kind of goes back to your, your point earlier about you just have to be thorough um, because any data point could be the difference in a kid being a truly great fit or a truly not great fit. So you mentioned it earlier about Exos and, and that being a big part of, you know, you landing your opportunity at Southern Illinois and getting to learn from a guy like Kelvin Bell. But would you say some of your biggest influences on you as a recruiter started at Exos or was it earlier when you were coaching high school ball? And we'll get into your story later, but who are, 
who are your biggest influences on how you recruit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, EXO's allowed me to, to meet a lot of guys on staff and, and that's the, the funny thing about, you know, on a college staff is obviously, you know, the guys that you work with every day and, you know, this COVID, you know, situation is allowed. I know you and I've talked quite a bit for some professional development and on a normal schedule, it's really hard to do that, you know? So EXO's was great because I was able to, to meet, like I said earlier, meet a lot of college staffs, um, guys like Matt Wilson in Mississippi state, um, Saeed Khalif at Wisconsin does an awesome job, uh, a little more in the, the operation strategy, but uh, Cody Shada at Northwestern is, is unbelievably smart, unbelievably thorough, does an incredible job. Yeah, so I, I was able to kind of to meet a lot of people and, and, and kind of get my reach. And what you do is you try to take a little bit from each one of those guys. Um, and, you know, you, you, you form, like you said, your style, you form your philosophies, but it goes back to you know, I was a high school coach. It's kind of where I got my start at Tallahassee Lincoln. And Lincoln was an unbelievable program, uh, producing a ton of Division One talent. So I would see guys like Urban Meyer, Pete Carroll. You know, this is back in the days when, high, when the, the FBS head coaches could spend more time in the high schools. You know, we, we signed three kids to, to Southern Cal from, from Florida. So Pete Carroll and his staff were, were at school as often as they could. And, um, you know, so yeah, so you, you're able to take a little bit from a lot of people. And like I said, ultimately, you got to be yourself, but you, you see a lot of those guys and you, you take what you like from them and, uh, and then you try to mold it into your style. And then I think a big one is you try to mold it in the, the vision of the head coach where you're at, right? That, mm, that's something that I don't yeah. think talked enough about. Like, you know, this is Nick Hill's program, you know, and, and my job is I've got to make the life as easy as possible for my head coach and my assistant coaches. Um, you know, so I wouldn't a recruit the same kid, b recruit the same way if I was at a different Missouri Valley school. You know, yeah. and, and Southern Illinois has some unique traits. Obviously, like you at Rice, you've got some unique traits, and so I think that's really important. That that what is the head coach's vision, and it's my responsibility to find kids that meet that vision and then can ultimately carry out that vision. And I think that you would do that very differently at depending on what conference you're in, depending on what school you're in. And then depending on who your head coach is. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I try to, to see it. And, and ultimately that's my job is my job is to make Coach Hill's job as easy as possible. It's that alignment that you have to have so that you have an idea, like a, the DNA of your team needs to be the DNA of your head coach. So for you, what is your process for learning and growing? Because like in 2016, I followed you because you were posting a ton of stuff on Twitter recruiting wise. And you followed me back, you hit me up. And I think what, what stood out the most, because I, when I sent you the Zoom link, it, it pulled up the thread yeah. of messages. Because yeah, we, had, sure. we hadn't messaged on Twitter since uh, 2018 when we actually met. Um, but starting in two, 2016, uh, you asked me questions. You were asking me how you could help me. And we didn't have the money to pay for Exos. And you were like sending me contact information from different people. And I think what was really cool and what stood out about you is that like you weren't there to like ask me for anything. You could have very well gone, Hey, I'm trying to get into college football. Uh, here's my resume, but you went about it. Like I'm going to add value to this guy and see how this, see where this goes. I think that was what was really cool about the way you handled your, your role at Exos. And we'll talk about that in a second, but what is your process for, for learning and growing? Cause I know it's, it's very much like a two way street. Cause as much as people will probably reach out to you now that you're in a position like this, uh, you, you learn as much as you 
teach, if that makes sense, in my opinion. Like, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it does. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. For me, it's, it's unbelievably simple and incredibly complicated at all at the same time. And what you've got to do <laughs> is you've got to provide people value. That's it. You've you got to provide them value. What, what does that mean? Um, you know, and, and my job at XOs was to provide as many college recruiters and college support staff value as possible. And, and, you know, and that's what I did is I wanted to provide you value, you know, and then my game was always the long-term game. You know, I, I loved XOs. I love what I did. Lived in Chicago, about a mile and a half uh, north of Wrigley Field. Absolutely loved every second of it. But, but like you kind of early in your career, you had an eye towards college and then, you know, eventually in the scouting space. And so to me, it's, you've got to provide value to people. And then I think what's important to that is you've got to know the person and then know how I can provide you value. Right. So you at Rice, you know, being able to help you at Rice would be very different than someone being able to help me at Southern Illinois. So you've got to know the person, you've got to know their situation. Um, and then that's how you can find and say, okay, you know, if I'm looking to get into the college space, maybe I'm a high school coach, maybe I'm a, you know, maybe I'm a middle school coach. I don't know. Um, and I live in Houston and, and I know that Alex Brown's the director of recruiting at, at, at Rice. How can I provide him value? Obviously for me, it would start with the academic stuff. You know, it would start with, you know, trying to think about how I could provide you something that maybe A, you don't have the time or B, someone in your building couldn't do. That was my, you know, what was awesome about EXOs is I was able to go to everything. I didn't, you know, as a recruiting service, you don't have dead periods. You don't have contact rules. So I would go to Under Armour camps, seven on sevens, Nikes, and I'd film kids and I'd write reports. I'd get verified information and I'd be able to take those back to our college clients and, and provide them value and, and know that Iowa and Wisconsin and Indiana and Florida state and the Navy Naval academies and Notre Dame all were looking for very different things. And, and so my job was to provide whatever those guys were looking for specifically. Is that when you kind of realized how important it was to mold your plan to the head coach, seeing how different everybody recruited? Exactly right. I mean, that, that was it, you know, as, as, you know, it's like coach Hill, I, you know, I joke, he's, he's a young guy. This will be his fifth season. Um, I think he just turned 34. So he's super young, you know, but he's old school. Like he, he's, he's an old soul. Um, I love him to death. He's not exactly the most technologically advanced guy on the planet. I think he would say that, you know, and, and I, and I've got to know that I have to know that and I have to set the plate for him and I've got to know, you know, he is, he is a relationship you know, on the phone guy, you know, so, so like you said, you know, knowing the head coach, like we talked about earlier, but yeah, but that was a huge impact is being able to see how many different staffs had different ways of doing things uh, was, it was a great experience. for me. What are you reading, listening and uh, watching? Yeah, right now? no, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm a huge reader and, and a big podcast guy watching a little less, but just, uh, just started Astro Ball, which is a book uh, about hey, the Houston there Astros. There you go. There you go. I know it's been a little rocky with the sign stealing. Yeah, ball, but I, I I got it for my birthday, and I I got like halfway through it, and then the scandal hit, and I was like, oh man, uh, I'm gonna have to reread this later. Yeah, <laughs> it was pre-scandal. It was pre-scandal, but uh, Love you know, it. for the non not the non-baseball guys, I mean, they were one of the worst you know organizations in baseball for for quite some time, really since like the mid 2000s, late 2000s. Um, you know, so the, uh, that that's the one just just started. There's another book called The Outsiders that I finished couple weeks ago it's uh not sports related but more business ceo related and kind of thinking outside the box so it's got a lot of history about successful ceos 
Um, so th those are the ones that I've kind of gotten into now. So I, I try to, like I said, I'm a big reader, um, but I try to find as many, honestly, I try to find as many non-football books as possible. And for me, um, I got my degree in social studies, education, and economics. So I'm a, you know, love economics books, love business books, um, you know, organizational building. So that's kind of reading wise, that's kind of where, you know, it points me, uh, listening to, uh, definitely, like I said, a heavy podcast guy, um, move the sticks. I don't know if you, if you listen yeah, to that one, but Daniel Jeremiah, Daniel Jeremiah. I mean that, that, I mean, to me, that's the, uh, that's the pinnacle for if you're in the scouting, if you're in the recruiting space, um, they do an unbelievable job with the draft. Um, yeah. so that's, that's a big one. Uh, the GM shuffle, uh, Mike Lombardi. I don't know if you've listened uh, yeah. to that one. That's yeah, a, uh, and his and his book was really good too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are the, the two big ones. Uh, actually, and, and it's funny. I'm not a basketball guy. I think you and I have talked about this. I'm not a basketball guy like at all. I don't watch basketball. Um, doesn't really interest me particularly. But I love evaluating. I love scouting. I love building teams. So uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, who's the uh, the writer, like he covers the NBA or whatever. Uh, yeah, so he has an bombs. awesome podcast. Yeah. So he'll have a lot of like GMs on and a lot of like scouts and coaches. And they talk a lot about program building and team building and about, you know, so I, I kind of like to cross sports a little bit. And, and so that's a good one. Like I said, I don't particularly care about basketball, but, um, but I love that one. That's a, that's a really good listen. Uh, that's a, a really good listen for sure. I, I love like basketball. If, if there was a, if there was another sport, it would be basketball for me. Yeah. My, my dad's probably cringing right now. Cause he's a baseball guy. Yeah, sorry. No. Sorry, dad. Uh, yeah, exactly. but but I still love baseball too I think yeah when you take the time to see how other teams build their programs and their culture I think you can like get so many outside the box um, opportunities that because it, it, everything it gets cyclical in in any sport you know everybody's kind of like like group think like you said earlier um, so I think that's important to really kind of like branch out business other sports all that kind of stuff so Getting into your story, your Tallahassee native went to FSU. You kind of had the most interesting time period because that's when the the whole Bobby Bowden to to Jimbo Fisher era. You had Christian Ponder. Like, what was it like going to school at FSU during that time? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was obviously you know you grew up in Tallahassee. Uh, tons of FSU fans. I I was not. I've never really been a, a huge huge fan of any team growing up. Like. Um, I've more just kind of watch games and, and love watching it rather than, you know, like I'd rather watch the game from the house than like go and tailgate and go and sit in the stands kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it was definitely unique. You know, it was definitely unique. Obviously Jimbo Fisher is an awesome coach and does an incredible job. So yeah, it was a, it was unique for sure. You know, he had, you know, coach Bowden, you know, he's a, well, I think what some people not in the South or not in Tallahassee, like that guy is a legend, not even coaching, but like just as a person, I mean, you know, you go to Publix, you see him in the grocery store with his wife, he'd stop and take pictures with people. You don't really see that. I think nowadays with obviously social media and, and the, the expectations of coaches are a little different than it was back then. Um, yeah. But, but uh, you know, so that was definitely, he was really like a, almost like Tallahassee's grandpa in a way, you know, I feel like a lot of people felt that way outside of obviously uh, an unbelievable coach. Um, but yeah, but it was definitely interesting and, and they've done a really good job. And obviously Jimbo Fisher had a ton of success uh, when he took over. Yeah. And, and so while you were at FSU, if I, if I read it right, you were coaching at Lincoln high school and you, you, you mentioned in passing, but I mean, you had guys like Buck Allen that, you know, signed with USC and you, you had two other guys that signed. Um, what was it like managing, you know, 
for the, for the young kids out there that are in college that are trying to, you know, make it in this profession, like you have to, you have to give up your, your life at some point, like during that grind phase, like I'm sure you were really, really busy. You guys were state runner runners up, but what led you into coaching and just tell me about some of like the, the talent that you guys faced, because I think that was, that was something that's really cool to me. I mean, you guys play a state game against Aaron Murray and Orson Charles. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a tandem. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I feel like, like you said, to, to the, you know, the guys looking to crack in the business, to me, you've got to be as close to whatever you want to do as possible. You know, so for me, it was, I mean, I, I was, I played at Lincoln and really grew up around the program. My brother, who's four years older than me, played there too. Uh, David Wilson was a longtime super successful head coach. Kyle Rice was my offensive line coach and took over after Coach Wilson retired. But it, it was like a crash course, man, uh, just because, you know, you're talking about it in a spring practice, 20 practices in May in Florida, we'd have 130, 140 college coaches come by. Good you know, guy. so as a, as a young coach, as a, you know, I was just drinking it all in, you know, learning how to talk to college coaches, learning what information they were looking for. Um, you know, we had a packet, so every coach would come in. We'd have a packet, every kid's transcripts, schedules, practice times. Um, this is pre-huddle, obviously, so a lot more DVD. Um, you know, but like I said, it was a crash course, you know, so it was an incredible, from a recruiting standpoint, it was an incredible experience for me. You know, I was the, the guy that would print all the packets and drive the coaches around on the golf cart and, and just the, kind of that stuff. Um, so unbelievable experience. Like I said, wouldn't trade that for the world. And then being able to apply, played with Fred Rouse, who uh, signed with Florida State, who I think was like a top 10 kid in the country. Uh, Calvin Darity was a year older than me, signed at North Carolina as an offensive guard, was the number one guard in the country. Uh, played with B.J. Daniels, who uh, played for South Florida, quarterback, and kicked around the NFL for a long time. So being around all the – and there's – I mean, there's a ton more. Pat Watkins, Antonio Cromartie, uh, plays oh, yeah. with Buck Allen. I mean, there's a, there's a million of them. Um, so it was it was awesome to see. And, and like some of your guests have talked about in the last couple of weeks, I think it's super important to, like, know what a great player looks like. Right? That's the number one thing. You're like, okay, well, what does a high power five recruit look like? What does a group of five recruit look like? What does an FCS uh, recruit look like? Or even an NFL player, you know, kind of as that progresses. So it was a crash course. Um, absolutely loved it. You know, I, I wrestled too. It was a huge part of my life. Um, and Lincoln, like I said, it was, it was an incredible program. They, they have done an incredible job having people come back, you know, graduates coaching there, helping out the program. And, and you know, my eye was always towards the college game and, and eventually the NFL, but it was an unbelievable foundation for me. Um, and it really has helped me got to where I'm at today. Learning the questions that, that recruiters ask. I think that's so critical as far as how you develop kind of your voice and what questions you turn around and ask. Um, what were some big takeaways you, you had when, when guys were coming through and what were the, the common traits that you saw as guys came through? Um, the, to, the back to the first question you asked, I mean, it's the thoroughness of the recruiter, right? So like you would have a, a coach come in and a, and a coach who would, you know, have his notes ready, have his notes organized, and he would already know a lot of those, those kids. Um, and, and then, you know, being able to come in with that plan, with that idea. I mean, that's what makes good recruiters coming in and having to get all your information from the high school coach. I think the, the best recruiters come in and already know the kids for their program. And, and then you use the high school coach to get the background, you know, get your, your character evaluation, get your, 
other sports, GPA, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so that was the, the big the, thing. Is, the, the, the second level questions. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to, I mean, you got to come in with the homework already done. You yeah, know, that, that's yeah. like, you know, you can't show up, t- you know, test or you can't show up the day of the test and hope in 15 minutes beforehand, you're going to be able to get it in. You got to already know the couple of days before. And you would see that, you know, you would see the, the coaches who would come in super organized, super thorough. Um, and I felt like they were able to get deeper. And then some of the other coaches who might not quite have been as organized, they really only stayed on the surface level. You know, they didn't have the time. You know how it is seeing seven, eight, nine, ten schools a day. You didn't have the time to get to that that second level because you were still worried about the surface level stuff. Yeah, I think that's huge. You see that a lot with scouts too, and I know that you you're involved yes. with that. I, I think uh, something that's really helped me is is taking what the questions that scouts ask and flipping that around and using that in our recruiting process. So when you moved into the Exos role, kind of walk me through that transition from coaching high school ball, getting into the recruiting space and your journey from there to, to where you are now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, fu- a funny one. So I, I moved to, to Palatka, Florida, which is outside of Jacksonville after I graduated college, you know, started teaching and coaching. Um, and, and a guy that I coached with by the name of Wade Rawlinson and Jeff Martin, actually, again, this is pre-huddle. So recruit, the recruiting services business was way different. They started a company called High Tech Video. Uh, it was called High Tech Video, and they did states in the South. So what they they would they would teach during the day. They'd coach in the afternoons, obviously, and then in the spring and the summer to make some extra scratch. They they drive around to all their buddies' high schools. They'd have literally VCRs in the back of their vans, and they would dub tapes. They'd bring them back to the house. They'd cut up the VCR tapes, and then they would send them to colleges. And they were their own. I mean, they were own. They were XOs before any of those other companies started. Um, and they did an awesome job. Like I said, you know, teachers and coaches in Florida don't make a ton. So it was a way to supplement their income and, and visit with all their college buddies. So I was coaching and, and Coach Rawlinson said, hey, you know, what do you think about helping out doing some cut-ups? And I was like, yeah, like, absolutely. So I, would, I was doing them for free. Um, so my job was, was actually marking the tapes to make it easier for them to kind of do that process. Um, so did it for a year just for free you know, watch as many kids as I could and, and help Coach Rawlinson. And then he said, um, and this was at this point, it was getting a little more digital. We would use Apex, which is a, a computer program similar to Huddle, but before, and they were paying me 10 bucks a kid. So they'd give me my list and I would, you know, I would teach during the day and coach in the afternoons. And at night I'd come home, do cutups for 10 bucks a kid. Uh, again, as a young guy, that was, you know, you stack up quite a bit of money, which was a good thing. Um, and then, and then Exos Digital actually bought their companies. So when Exos started the recruiting branch, they bought a bunch of regional recruiting companies to form the national company. So when Exos bought High Tech Video, I started as a contractor with them, did that for a couple of years, and then eventually got hired uh, covering the Midwest as a director of recruiting and scouting. That's when I moved to Chicago. So it was kind of a, a unique story, and I'll never forget it. I was I was at Palatka High School. Their soccer coach actually wasn't an on-campus teacher, so they needed someone to travel with the team so they could have like you know a school employee or whatever. So they would pay me to do that, and I would I would travel with the girls' soccer team to you know all these places, and I'd be in the in the school bus with my laptop doing cutups, um, and I'd be sitting wow. in the stands doing my cutups, and then yeah, so it was pretty funny. 
but yeah, so that was kind of my path. Definitely uh, unconventional, but uh, but a, a good one. You, you weren't you weren't a you weren't drawing up plays and, and coaching them up on sideline. No, no, no. I, I I do love soccer. I was born in Spain, so I uh, I do have a love for the beautiful game for sure. But it is tactically is not my not my strong suit. Really, I didn't know you were born in Spain. So tell me, talk, walk me through like uh, growing up. Um, yeah. So I moved I moved to the United States when I was young. But my dad was a professional highlight player. Um, so if you're if you're under the age of 30 and not from South Florida, you probably don't know what that is. Um, but it's like racquetball. And okay. You would have a, what's called a cesta. So it's like a scoop on your arm. And it's sort of like racquetball. It's called highlight. So he would play professionally. So he was, he was in Spain. So half the year, he'd live in Miami. The other half the year, he'd live in Spain. And my mom was a ticket taker. So you'd go, like if you bet on horse racing, You'd go and you'd put down your $2 Quinella or your $3 Exacta or whatever. Uh, so he played, and then my mom was a ticket taker. So that's how they met. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so then they moved to Spain. I was born, and then they moved back. Okay. So, I mean, do you guys ever go back and, and see family over there? Like, when's the last time no, you've been so back terrible. to Spain? Yeah, so I haven't been back, which is, like, the worst the worst thing ever. Uh, you know how it is in the coaching world. There's not a ton, a ton of uh, time to do it. But but that is a priority for my wife and I to try to get back. and, and spend a little time over there. Yeah. That'd be an awesome place to go visit. So yeah, you're, you're at SIU now. What was the connection with, with Nick Hill and just talk about him. You know, you mentioned earlier how, how young he is, but um, just a really impressive resume and, and, and uh, you know, just talk about your, your head coach and, and how you guys got linked up. Yeah. So actually it was, it was Kelvin Bell, the recruiting coordinator at Iowa. Um, you know, Kelvin and I had a, a ton of conversations about you know trying to make the transition to college, um, and like I said, he was kind of a mentor to mine and, and kind of helping me with that that uh, that that path. So he, um, Coach Hill, uh, reached out to him when they had a director of recruiting and DPP spot open, uh, and that's kind of how that connection worked out. Obviously, I was in Chicago, um, and where SIU is located, we're right in the the southern tip of of Illinois. So we recruit obviously Indiana. Illinois, Missouri, and then we get down into Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, and Georgia. So it really was kind of my sweet spot growing up in the South and knowing a lot of that landscape and then living in Chicago. Um, so it was a really, really good fit uh, for, for me and, and my, you know, my first college job. And obviously, you know how it is. You're indebted to, to the, the ones that got you there for life, really. Um, so Coach Hill has been awesome to work for. He played at DuQuoin High School, which is a tiny little school about 30 minutes north of, of Southern Illinois was a was a was a good quarterback there Jerry Kill who's now at TCU but he was the head coach at the time so coach Hill uh, actually signed a basketball scholarship to Western Kentucky so he played one year at Western Kentucky basketball and wanted to transfer back to play football so he uh, played both he played basketball and football here you know was a was a, one of the best quarterbacks in school history uh, had a cup of coffee in the NFL bounced around the arena league and then basically got right back into it and then um, was the OC here for a couple years and then promoted to the head coach uh, at age 30. So it's a, a really impressive guy. Um, and like I said earlier, a great family man, Alicia, his wife is unbelievable. They have two daughters that are, that are great to, to my daughter and great to my wife. And, and like I said, a guy that uh, is, is an unbelievable guy to work for. I think that's so huge creating that because it's not just culture for players, but it's got to be culture for the staff. Like uh, coach Bloomgren really, prides himself on he wants to make it feel like you know you're, every day you're coming into work you're excited to be be here you know you're, you're coming into disney disneyland like yeah. you, you're excited 
looking at your your staff though, like a majority of your guys were college athletes. So I'm I'm having to guess that there's some pretty intense noon ball action. Yeah. You yeah, get like in on said, that? Yeah, no, no, you know how it is. I'm too busy for that, man. That's that's the hour during the middle of the day when the head coach is gone, all the position coaches are gone, and you can actually get a little bit of work done. But, uh, yeah, I, I hate to keep pubbing him up, but Trevor Olson, uh, the big man, our O-line coach, she's uh, a great athlete. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, those new ball games get uh, get pretty good, and uh, Trev and uh, Coach Hill get after it pretty good. Now, talk to me about Jeremy Chin and what it was like seeing him every day. I think you've mentioned it a couple of times. You need to know what a great recruit looks like. You need to also know what an NFL player looks like so that you know, when NFL scouts come through your building, you, you're not the, the boy who cried wolf. Like when, when you actually recommend a player, you're recommending yeah. the right guy. And I think that goes down to the high school level as well. Um, not every single player on your team is going to be a college level player. So seeing a guy like, like Jeremy Chin, for example, who you guys, uh, Missouri Valley Conference, great conference. At what point did you realize this guy's got a chance to be like a top 50 pick? Sure. Uh, I think that for, for me, you know, I, so I was here for Jeremy's junior year and senior year. Um, I mean, he looks it right away. I mean, you look at the combine stuff, you look at the senior bowl stuff, you know, I think he was six, three and an eighth. I think he was two twenty one. Um, So, you know, he, he looks it, but I think the, the big thing with Jeremy is, is the development, you know, coach Hill and Marty Rogers, who's our cornerbacks coach have, have done an incredible job, you know, and we always talk about, you know, we've got six guys that played at SIU that are playing professional football. There were DBs. Uh, Jeremy Chin, obviously, who you said was drafted as, as from the Panthers. Ryan Neal, uh, Craig James, Madre Harper, Roman Tatum played in the XFL, and then Anthony Thompson's a CFL guy. And, and the reason why I bring those guys up is, as we talked about as evaluators, it's about development too. And I think that's what Jeremy's story is. Is I mean, he looks like Hercules now, but when, when he got here, I mean, he was tall, he was skinny. He played receiver, he played running back, he played a little DB. But But the key to Jeremy is – is his development, you know, his commitment to the weight room, his commitment to get better. I think that's what, what's often forgotten, like our conversation earlier about always looking forward, is what's your plan to develop kids? You know, how when you take a body as a high school senior at a certain position, are you a program that can add – we had this conversation the other night, you know, are you a program that can add weight to an O-lineman? Are you a program that can add speed to a receiver? You know, and if, if, if you're not confident or you are confident that you could do that, then that helps you as a talent evaluator because you know if we take this kid who's 20 pounds lighter and we can develop them to put that weight on or we can develop them in, you know, whatever ways your program needs, then that's critical. So matching the development piece with the evaluation piece is, is super huge for, uh, for not even evaluators, but then, like you said, when you're, when you're recruiting high school kids. Yeah. And then it's normally the disconnect between the three, the three trees, right? It's like the, the recruiting side, the coaching side, and the strength conditioning. If those three aren't in tandem, then you're going to have a lot of like, oh, well, they brought in this guy or they, they're not developing this guy. And that's, that's the big thing about how we do things. Like everybody's involved with the process and like our strength coach is going to get his hands on players and like get to see them, feel them and see what they look like when they get them on campus. Cause I think that's the, the biggest thing is, you know, what does the frame look like? Cause yeah, it's about development, but we need to make sure that he's got the body type to develop and he's got, and then from a makeup standpoint, like, does he have the character and the commitment level? Like you were talking about with Jeremy, like he's committed to the weight room. 
that's a mindset. That's a, that's a character trait. So I think that's awesome. Well, does your, and does your program have a history of developing that guy? Yeah. Right? yeah. So let's say you're, let's say you're an odd front defense and we're talking about, in my opinion, three, four outside linebackers, one of the biggest projection positions, mm-hmm. right? Does your, does your program have a history of developing that undersized skinny three, four outside linebacker into the guy you need? If your program hasn't shown the ability to do that, maybe you need to stop taking that guy as an evaluator. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you've got a kid with big time track speed, but you're like, man, he's, he's a raw as a route runner. He's raw as a prospect and he's not having success for you on the field. You know, you should probably stop signing dudes like that. You know, you should probably say, what does our school do? Well, what type of kids will have success in our program? And then you need to recruit those kids rather than just saying, well, he had the track speed. He just never developed. And then just leaving it at that. Cause uh, to me, that's not what it is. Yeah. Knowing your coaches uh, and, and knowing what they work best with. I think that is, that is absolutely critical. Just switching gears to the topic of the week. I think this is perfect time to do it. We've talked about this a lot, but this week we're talking difference between FBS and FCS recruiting. And really what I want us to focus on is how do you evaluate the different levels of college football recruits? Because you mentioned it in passing, but there's the power five, you know, national, national recruits where they're going to have 40 to 50 offers. There's the, the low end power five fringe power five, like, you know, group of five school prospects. Um, And then there's kind of like a a frayed line between the FBS and FCS. And I think in, in in a world of increased commitments and pressure on kids and the timeline being manipulated year in and year out, within the mid-year signing period, what, what are the key differences in your mind from the recruitment side of it as far as, you know, when you should be hearing from FBS and FCS schools and just like, let's just kind of like at the ground floor level, uh, what are the differences with, with, cause you've, you've seen a lot of FBS programs and you, you helped a lot of them while you were at Exos, but now you're in the trenches at the FCS level. So what are the big differences? Sure. Uh, you know, the big difference is obviously is, is like you said, the early commits. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing is, you know, you've got FBS power five programs right now with 20 plus commitments, 15 plus commitments Um, at the FCS level, that's going to be delayed. You know, you're not going to have that many um, at this point of the calendar year. So that's going to be a big difference is the, is the, the timing of it. Um, And then two, I think the, the, the major difference between FCS and FBS recruiting is you know Trent Valky who used to be the the GM of the Niners. I heard him speak at the the personnel symposium a couple of years back, and I know you've mentioned it. Is if you take exceptions, you're going to have a team full of exceptions. You know, and when he means that is height, weight, speed. Usually, where at the FCS level, we can take more exceptions, right? So if if you're looking at a, an offensive lineman, you know, and he's he's six foot, you know, he's an interior offensive lineman, he might be a, a really really good center you know, great student, captain, comes to camp, you know, is a butt kicker. But, you know, that kid's probably not playing at the power five level, just from a height, weight, speed. Where at the FCS level, if the film checks out and, you know, he's a really, really good player, we can take some more exceptions from a height, weight, speed standpoint. So I think that's the biggest, the biggest deal is we're allowed to take play or not allowed, excuse me, we're usually take players maybe who might be, you know, 0.1 or 0.2 slow on the 40, 
might be not quite the weight you need him, might not quite be the height you need him, but is a really, really good ball player. And if, and if you don't watch FCS football, I think you need to. I mean, there's unbelievable players. There's unbelievable programs. So that's the big difference is we're able to kind of have a little wider range. I know Aaron, or Aaron Hodges and you talked about when, you know, when he was on, you guys talked about like your, your template for each position and what that guy needs to look like. Um, at the FCS level, that's just a little bit wider for us. We have a little more variance, um, you know, which is, is a unique trait, but, but something we like because we, we feel like we can find really, really good football players who might be an inch shorter, but will come here and be all conference. Yeah, and, and I think the finding guys that love football, like Yogi talked about it a couple episodes ago, but what, what are the questions that you ask? when you're trying to figure out, does this kid love football? Because I think that's, that really is the heart of it. Sure. I, I think that's the, that's the hardest question to answer, in my opinion, in this business. I can look at a 40 time. I can put the kid on a scale. Um, and if I say, do you love football? What's every kid's answer going to be? Of course I do. Of course I do. So I don't ask the question anymore. I just don't. I don't ask the question because I think everyone's going to say yes and three quarters of them aren't going to be true. So what I do is I want to see it, right? I want to see it. So when, when a kid comes to our camp, how many reps does he take? You know, does he even come to your camp? I mean, that's another one too. It's like, Hey, you know, I, I went to so-and-so's camp last week. You know, I was going to come to your camp this week, but, and then the kid no shows. So to me, I don't ask the question, do you love football? Because I don't think, uh, let me rephrase. I don't ask the question because I think everyone says yes. But like, like you talked about what you and Yogi talked about is I think a lot of kids don't even know really what that means. So to me, I want to yeah. see it. You know, I want to see it. Obviously the camp setting is huge. You know, how many reps do you take? How competitive are you? Um, the big one for me is do you play special teams? At the FCS level, you know, it's just something I think is important for people to know is, is you get 63 scholarships for 85 players. Right, 63 for 85. At the FBS level, you get 85 for 85. So at the FCS level, you can get partial scholarships, right? It's a, it's a huge difference. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but, but it's something they should. But so for us, with only 63 scholarships, you have to be able to play special teams. Because if you're a you know, three-quarter scholarship guy or a full scholarship guy and you don't play special teams, it really kind of messes our books up, to be, to be frank. So that's another one. Your question is, do you love football? Do they play special teams? Is absolutely critical. And, and I am always developing and I'm, you know, I'm learning like everybody else is I want them to show me they love football. I don't want them to tell me. That. When, uh, when guys are on bigger teams and cause I mean, you, you were at Lincoln, you, you, you were at a big program um, and maybe they're, they're two way starter and they don't play any teams or they're just, playing on one side of the ball because they're just so talented and, or maybe they're a key player. Um, what are some things that you look for that, that have translated to the ability to play on special teams? Our, our special teams coordinator, Drew Sabota is big on just football intelligence, like guys that have a feel for, you know, spatial awareness and like yeah. the, the ability to tackle in space and, and obviously athleticism is, is a huge component, but um, what are the traits that you look for when you're trying to see when you're trying to separate two kids that you're thinking about for a 1.0, like full scholarship yeah. and you're like, okay, these guys grade out similarly on film, but like, which guy's going to give me more value on teams? Uh, to me, I look at, do they play other sports and do they play defense on other sports? 
right? Because because everyone you know is looking at the uh, you know multiple sport athlete. Obviously, that's that's huge. But do they play defense for the other sport? Do they play defense? So Javon Williams, who I mentioned, is a, a running back for us from Centralia. You know, Coach Hill tells a story is when he when he went to see him play basketball. Um, you know, obviously he was lighting it up on the offensive end because he's a super athlete, but he was an unbelievably tough defender. So to me is, do you play defense for your other sport, whether that be wrestling, basketball, obviously is a big one, uh, rugby, baseball, because to me, defense is about want to, and so is special teams. Offense, a lot of times about skill. Um, obviously that's important, but to me, defense is about want to, and special teams is about want to. So if you've got a kid playing his you know, tail off on the defensive end of a basketball court or an outfielder, you know, chasing, you know, chasing fly balls, diving, you know, that kind of stuff, obviously wrestling, if he's a really, you know, as a, as a former wrestler and wrestling coach, that's near and dear to me, you know, how does he fight off the shot? How does he fight off the takedown? To me, that stuff is going to translate to special teams. Cause it's, like you said, it's, it's body control, it's football IQ, but to me, it's want to, does he want to do it? Does he not want to? The thing that I take away from that is just, the competitive nature because you said toughness you said want to like that's like are you a competitor and um that's awesome so um you talked about differences in scholarships and you mentioned how you guys can do partials we can do partials for our walk-on opportunities and we only get five of those um per class and then with those opportunities we have what's called the rice investment so it's totally financially aid based uh, need-based. So that, that means, you know, if you fall within a certain threshold, you can get X amount of support financially. And you guys are kind of in the same boat because you can give partials and then supplement with, um, you know, federal grants, all those sorts of things. What are, what are some steps recruits can take to expedite that process um, and put themselves in a better situation to play? Because I think, um, it's, it's difficult to hear partial scholarship or walk on, but if you're getting your school paid for and you're getting a chance to play division one football at any level, I think that needs to be the focus. So I guess what, what's your advice for recruits going through the process and, and, you know, from a FAFSA standpoint to documentation standpoint, like what, what helps you? Yeah. I think uh, just like a, just like the college coaches need to be thorough, the recruits got to be thorough too. Right. So, so knowing, and this is a big one. I tell all, when every, anyone comes to our campus, I always say, you know, if you know your 40 time and don't know your core GPA, you're doing it wrong. So to me, you got to know your core GPA. You have to know your high school GPA. Um, you need to know your test score. So for us, like you mentioned, we can put a kid on a partial scholarship, but there could be academic money via the school. There could be state grants, like you mentioned, um, and all that will be based on academics. So, you know, the, you know every, I'm sure every recruit in the country gets tired of their coaches saying, oh, academics first. But for us at the FCS level, I mean, we're talking about cash money. We're talking about dollars. Yeah. So knowing, knowing your academic profile and then knowing the academic profile of the colleges you want to go to is, is a big piece of it. Obviously, when you go down to the D2 and the D3 level, that's huge as well. Um, so having that academic profile, core GPA, high school GPA, test scores, and then when you're in the recruiting process and you're comparing schools, knowing what kind of aid the, the school gives themselves. And like you said, we have a lot of guys on full or excuse me, partial scholarships that don't have to come out of pocket any money. So they're playing big time uh, Missouri Valley FCS football and, and they're doing it for free. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, shoot, North Coast State. I mean, you got a quarterback this year. Uh, we played against them, yeah, a couple times. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they they do an incredible job. I mean, they really do. Um, you know, Illinois State, UNI, South Dakota State, it's a brutal conference. It really is. But, you know, like you talked about being a competitor earlier, like you want to you wanna tee it up every Saturday against the best teams you can. And I want to, you know, I want to recruit against those guys. I want to play those guys. And, and, you know, to us, that's why you do it. Um, but, yeah, but it, they do an incredible job. Um, unbelievably tough, unbelievably coached, and, and, and just a, a great program. For recruits that maybe have – you know, a handful of Ivy League and FCS type offers, or maybe they're just having interactions and, and communication with them, and then they have their sights set on on a dream school or whatever. At what point do you need to start to be self aware, and when should recruits start to really hone down their lists, especially for for you as an FCS coach? Like, how do you advise kids on being self aware? and on maximizing the opportunities that they do have, kind of the uh, one in the hand, two in the bush notion. Yeah, you uh, you know, a lot of people say you can only pick one school, right? So the guy with 44 offers and the guy with one offer, I mean, they can all only pick one. So ultimately that's all that matters. But I, you know, this is, you know, take the SIU cap off, you know, put on the XO's cap for a second. Like I usually tell kids after 4th of July, obviously with this, with, with COVID, everything's changed from a camp standpoint. And I think Hopefully we get some good news here in the next couple of weeks for some things get loosened up. I don't know. Um, but to me, after 4th of July, you know, if you don't have any FBS offers after 4th of July, I'm not saying it can't happen, but like you're saying, having the self-awareness, knowing, you know, there's some great FCS programs out there recruiting me, you know, 4th of July is hit. Maybe I need to start being more serious about those potential offers. Um, and then same way FCS to D2. I mean, it's the same so the, the 4th of July is usually my break point of when I'm, you know, used to advise kids. You kind of know by then. Would, you, you would, would, would that be with camps, with camps yeah, in mind? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you, you know, you go to you – know, those coach invites you those one days. You, you know, you, you, you work out at the one days. And, again, not to say that you can't get it off senior film. I mean, it, it does happen. But holistically, after, you know, camp season July 4th, in my opinion, you need to start kind of tightening that cone up about those schools that are serious about you and that you're serious about. Before we let you go, got my three questions for you. So first, what is one piece of advice that you would leave with recruits? You know, for recruits, the big one that, uh, that I always tell them, you know, when they're on campus or, you know, through the recruiting process is you've got to, as a recruit, you've got to run your own race. You know, you've got to, you've got to, worry about you, which is really, really hard. I mean, it's hard for everybody, but especially in the recruiting world is with social media and the media coverage in general can be really difficult. So I would say, you know, run your own race. Um, like I said earlier, you can only pick one school, uh, no matter how many offers you have, you can only pick one. And then really the college is really your starting point. It's not your ending point. I think a lot of people think that it's, it's, you know, you go through the process, you take your visits, maybe you're even just a walk on and, and, you know, that's just where it starts. That's not where it ends. So keeping keeping that in mind that that it's just one step in your life's journey, and it's it's not the end of anything. I think that's so huge to know that you can always get better too. Definitely. I think that I think that's awesome. Well, I tell uh, people all the time. You know, do you want to do you want to win signing day, or do you want to have a great college career? You know, do you want to get a you get a degree? Do you want to be an All American? Do you want to play in the NFL? It's just like draft day. You know, a lot of those guys go on, you know, go on stage and, and 
you know, shake the commissioner's hand, but that's not, that's not the end point for them either. It's, it's no different for high school. Kids. What about for parents? The parents, the, the one that I'll, that I'll tell them is you got to keep your kids grounded. You know, you've got to, and this is difficult. You got to challenge your son or your, you know, your whoever, whoever the recruit is, you got to challenge them, um, challenge their thoughts, but always do it positively. You know, you to where like you got to say, okay, well, why is that your top school? Why is that your favorite coach? Why do you want to take this camp visit? You know, so for the parents, you need to obviously stay positive, obviously support them, but but keep them grounded, challenge them. And then this is a big one is you need to find someone, whether that be a high school coach, a friend, anyone that can give you an honest evaluation for your your son or your your grandson or whomever the the kid may be so that you know what area you should be looking for as far as a, as far as schools. You know, if you're, you're a D3 recruit, then go to the best Division three program you can go to. And I think as a parent, getting that, you don't necessarily even need to tell the kid right away, but, but finding someone you trust, whoever that person is, and getting an honest evaluation of your, of your son's um, talent level, and that will help you kind of guide them through that process. I think that's big. And what about for coaches? Um, high school coaches, I always tell them, you know, your word is your bond. You know, you're, you're the number one resource that we use. Um, and, and your word is your bond. You know, I, I get it. Like I said, I've, I've been blessed to, to, to be at Lincoln and been around a ton of high school recruits and a bunch of college recruits. I mean, and, and you knew from a college standpoint, you know, the coaches that are going to shoot you straight, you know, the coaches that are salesmen. And, and, you know, from a high school coach standpoint, you know, be honest. And then I'm going to be honest with you. You know, if a kid's a senior eval kid for us, I'm going to tell you. If he's a camp kid, I'm going to tell you. You know, if he's high on our board, I'm going to tell you. And if he's number one on our board, I'm going to tell you. You know, obviously that's the recruiting spiel. But the, from, from this business is all relationships, as everyone always says, and everyone always knows. So for a high school coach, uh, your word is your bond with a, with a college, you know, recruiter or college position coach. Um, and, and that's huge. And that's the, the number one thing our – our head coach always looks for is what is his opinion of his head coach? You know, what does his head coach say of him? If his head coach doesn't go to bat for him and, and puts it all out on the table, then our head coach will, will be hesitant to recruit that kid. Kind of goes back to uh, what you said about you want to get somebody that you want to coach. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's, you know, if, is that high school coach putting the ball in that kid's hands on fourth and one? You know, if that answer is not yes, then then why is, why is he going to do it for us? Or, you know, if, if it's, you know, can you, that big one we say is we'll ask high school coaches, can you trust them? And if there's any hesitancy from the head coach, the high school head coach, that tells us a lot. Um, you know, so, so your word is your bond as a high school head coach and, uh, you know, make sure that you're honest with college guys and, and the good college guys will be honest with you. What are some good, uh, just a overtime question right here. Uh, what are some good examples that coaches can give that demonstrates trust? Because I think giving concrete examples of how somebody shows leadership or has shown that the ability for you to trust them, I think that that goes a long way in the recruiting process and also in the scouting process. But what, what, are, what are some examples that, that could help? I think you know, trust is built on the little stuff that doesn't matter, right? Everyone wants to be trusted on game day. Everybody wants to be trusted you know, pre-game, post-game, but, you know, the little stuff that doesn't matter, um, that's the big one is, is you know, if, if the kid says, hey, coach, I'm going to run the locker room, I'm going to make sure the locker room's clean after the games, 
you know, when no one's looking and no one would really necessarily maybe care, can you trust that kid to do the little stuff when it doesn't really matter? And it's, it's like the love of the football question, right? You know, to me, trust is just built through the stuff that doesn't seem big and isn't necessarily verbal. It's more like you said, showing it, you know, that, that, that's one of those things is you you can, you know, like I know if I give you a call and you say, Hey, I'm gonna call you back. I trust that you're going to call me back because you're a good dude and we have a great relationship and it, it's no different where, you know, that that's a big one is, is just like the love of football. Like I said, you know, show, have the kids show you more so than just, do you trust them? Yeah, I trust them. Dude, I, I really appreciate you for, for jumping on the show. And where can our listeners, recruits, parents, coaches, or otherwise follow you on social? Sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Twitter guy mostly. It's Geiska, G-A-I-Z-K-A underscore S-I-U. Um, and so you can find me. I think I'm the only Geiska, so I don't think you'll have too many, uh, too many other ones to see. Yeah, and uh, learning something every single week, the Spaniard. Uh, That's it. So. That's it. Man, thanks for jumping on the show and uh, best of luck during the rest of COVID. And hopefully we do get back back to business soon and, and back on the playing field. So um, stay blessed, stay safe, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, like we talked about, you know, they're hopefully keeping score in the fall. So however it plays it out, whether you're a high school kid or a college guy, you know, that, that's ultimately what you can focus on. I appreciate you having me on. All right, G. I'll see you. All right, brother.